Okay, so please open your Bibles to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. And this book is called Acts of the Apostles. Not Acts of the Church, not Acts of the Prophets, but Acts of the Apostles. And thus far, what we have been reading over the last several weeks is a snapshot as to what the Apostles were doing, how they would function, and how they would operate. And I think the best way that we can approach Acts of the Apostles, for the rest of these chapters anyway, would be to teach it from a historical perspective. That way we don't get into any theological cul-de-sacs. But last week we ended in Acts chapter 9, and I showed you how the high priest, who was a type of the Catholic Pope, wanted Christians arrested, tortured, and killed. Organized religion has always been hostile and aggressive to the true Church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's my belief that if some of the monsters over the last hundred years or so had the sort of power that the high priest once had, or the popes of Rome once had, they too would be rounding you up, interrogating you, and putting you to death. You see, organized religion feels threatened by those of us which are born again, but the truth of the matter is that the Lord God of the Bible rarely, if ever, chose anybody in organized religion to do anything for him. If you look at the New Testament very carefully, he started with John the Baptist, a man who wasn't a member of a local church, and he chose him to declare his son's arrival and to baptize his beloved son. On top of that, his beloved son didn't choose anybody from a local synagogue or temple. He chose 12 ordinary men to preach the gospel, to follow him to the ends of the earth. So if you are feeling somewhat perplexed, somewhat pressed down, somewhat afflicted by those that are an organized religion, if you feel that they are looking down upon you, just discard them, dust off your shoes and continue on to fight another battle. Also from chapter 9, we ended with Simon Peter meeting Simon the Tanner. And Simon had a very unusual occupation. He was dealing with the skins of dead animals. And I guess that would be the equivalent to a vegetarian working in a butcher's shop. And no doubt Simon the Tanner was shunned by a jury. But you have to understand that the Lord is moving from the old covenants into the new covenant. And this pictures for me the death of the Old Testament and the birth of the New Testament. On top of that, the Lord wants the apostles to move out of their comfort zones and speak to people, associate with people that once they were looked down upon. And sometimes it's good to go to different groups of people, to different parts of the world, and put yourself out. We just returned from Spain. We had a very successful outreach and we gave out we think about 13,000 to 15,000 Bible tracts. We street preached. Our banner was seen in three locations in Barcelona, Spain. And we worked outside of our comfort zone. But praise the Lord. He blessed our presence. He blessed the work that we were doing. And what you're going to read today in Acts chapter 10 is a similar picture. A similar picture of a Jew known as Simon Peter moving beyond his comfort zone into a whole different world. And that's the great majesty that's the great love that the lord has shown us that we need to go to those that we wouldn't normally associate with and salvation will follow if such recipients are opened to the truth so i pray the lord god of the bible will bless today's broadcast i pray he will bless acts chapter 10 and no doubt this will be a two-part study looking at the next 48 verses and I pray that the Lord will bless this message on the internet, the live stream, and shortwave radio. 
So let's start today's broadcast, if we may, in Acts chapter 10, verse 1. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band, a devout man and one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. This man is a Roman centurion. He would have a hundred men under him. So he's a, I guess, the equivalent to a captain, perhaps, in the British Army, although my figures might be slightly out, but he's a Roman soldier, and he has at least 100 men under his authority. Uh, We found a centurion back in the Gospels, and he witnessed the Lord's death on a cross, and he said, this was a righteous man, truly this was the Son of God. So this is the second centurion to be introduced into the Word of God. And it says he was a devout man in verse 2, and one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people, and prayed to God always. He's unusual. You see, the Romans were very superstitious. If you look at the Gospel of John, when Pilate is interrogating our blessed Saviour, and they say to Pilate, this man said he was a son of God, and Pilate was shocked, trembled, fearful, and he says, where are you from? Who are you? He was superstitious. Pilate would have been polytheist. He would have believed in many gods. But this man, Cornelius, a centurion, has turned from the worship of many gods to the one true God. He's unusual. He is remarkable. And it says that he feared God with all of his house. Let me say this also, that back in the Old Testament, the Jews were expected to be witnesses to the Gentiles. They failed miserably for the most part to reach out to their Gentile neighbours and tell them about the one true God of the Bible. But this man has converted to Judaism. He is a proselyte to Judaism. And most Catholic apologists will say to you that what you're reading today is picturing Simon Peter, referred to as Saint Peter in the Catholic Church, being responsible for leading a Roman citizen from Judaism to Christianity. But just hold on for one moment. I showed you last time in Acts chapter 8 how the Ethiopian eunuch was actually the first Gentile proselyte to Judaism. And thanks to Philip was later introduced to the Messiah of Israel. So let's not put the, uh, the cart before the horse. Let's not run ahead of ourselves and end up adopting some of this Catholic propaganda. But he is a remarkable man nevertheless. He's turned from paganism and I wonder what his colleagues would have thought of this. I wonder what his superiors would have thought of this. But he's praying, he's devout, and he's giving much alms to the people. He's a giver. He's a generous man. He's giving what he has to the people. No doubt that would be in reference to the local Jewish community. And he's praying to God always. He's a good example to us, but that's not enough. It's not enough to be a good example. It's not enough to pray to God always. It's not enough to give money to charity. You must be born again. And I made that case very clearly in Barcelona last week when I was preaching outside a great cathedral and many Catholics and tourists, not necessarily Catholic tourists, but many people are flocking into this cathedral to do religion, to be a part of organized religion. And I said to those people, pretty much what I'm saying this morning, it's not enough for you. You must be born again. Let's read on, please. Verse three. He saw in a vision, evidently about the ninth hour of the day, an angel of God coming into him and saying unto him, Cornelius, And he saw in a vision, evidently about the ninth hour of the day, that's about 3 p.m., an angel of God coming into him and saying unto him, Cornelius. This is the period of signs and wonders. 
And please remember this, that the New Testament hasn't yet been written. People are being shown signs and wonders because this is a great time in the early church's history. And I think when the Great Tribulation begins and the 144,000 Jewish male virgin evangelists are raised up and are sent around the world, that what you are reading in Acts is going to reappear, but on a much larger scale. In fact, it says in John chapter 14, verse 12, Jesus speaking, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. And that's what you are finding in the book of Acts. The apostles are doing the same sort of works that the Lord did. Miracles left, right and center. But greater works in scope. You see the apostles are going to go to the Gentiles. And the Gentiles were referred to as unclean animals. In fact if you were to sit down with a honest Jew. And ask him or her to exegete the book of Genesis chapter 3. In reference to the seeds. There's two seeds there. There's the seed of Eve and the seed of the serpent. An honest Jew will say to you that the seed of the serpent is in reference to the Gentiles. Because the Jews believe that Gentiles are unclean animals. They think that Gentiles are like unclean beasts. And of course it's true that until you are born again, you are a filthy, depraved, reprobate. That's very true. And you are dead in your trespasses and sins. That's true also. But the word of God always made it so very clear that the Lord's purpose was to eventually have one group of people. And that's why the Lord told us in John chapter 10, that the day would arrive where there would be Jew and Gentile in the body of Christ. But here we are still looking at this changeover period. We are still focusing on this individual, a Roman proselyte in Acts chapter 10 called Cornelius, a centurion, a very powerful man with 100 soldiers in his authority, under his authority, working for him and he has servants in his house but he's praying he wants a sign he's not quite complete and that's why I think it's fair to say that a Jew who gets born again is a complete Jew but a Jew that is not born again is an incomplete Jew and he's praying and the Lord sends an angel to him and we are told in verse 4 and when he looked on him he was afraid and said what is it Lord And he said unto him, thy prayers and thine arms are come up for a memorial before God. He was afraid, quite natural. And he says, what is it, Lord? And Lord is uppercase, or capital L, I should say. At least it is in my King James Bible. And it could just possibly be that this is the angel of the Lord appearing to Cornelius. I don't know, but in other parts of the Bible, Lord is lowercase l. But here it's uppercase L or capital L, to be more precise. And the angel says to Cornelius, thy prayers and thine arms are come up for a memorial before God. You were told to pray without ceasing. And we read of an account back in the Gospels where an individual is cited for praying continually and his prayers are answered. And the account goes on to explain that there was an unjust man, not saved, didn't fear God, didn't fear man. But this woman continued to badger him. She continued to approach him with her needs and requests and eventually he got weary of her and he said okay your prayers or your requests are now going to be answered that pictures our need to continue to pray and praying praying is not easy praying is hard on the flesh and when I say praying I mean on your knees 
And I mean pray not once, not twice, maybe three times a day on your knees for a particular need. It's not easy. And on top of that, if you were to fast at the same time as praying on your knees for a period of time, I believe that the Lord will answer your prayers. But this term here, thy prayers and thine arms are come up for a memorial before God. This man's been praying for a long time. This man has turned to Jehovah. And the Lord said, you know what? If your heart's right with me, if you are sincerely seeking my will, I'm going to get someone to you. And people say to me, well, what happens to those people that live in the rainforest? Or those people that live in third world countries? Can they be saved? Yes, they can be saved. And that's why we have ETC Radio, which goes out seven days a week on the shortwave. We are aiming our message primarily at poor people around the world. But on top of that, if those people around the world would turn to the Lord in faith, he will turn to them. And on top of that, he will send people to them to further educate them in the things of the Lord. And that's what we are reading about this morning. This man isn't quite there yet. He's praying. He's in no rush. But at the same time, he wants his prayers answered. And that's why you're going to read the next few verses. Verse 5. And now send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. He lodgeth for one Simon at Tanner, whose house is by the seaside. He shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do. Simon Peter is going to be dispatched from Simon the Tanner's house. And he will tell you what you ought to do. But please keep in mind that the New Testament hasn't yet been written. So on the one hand, you don't need somebody to come beside you and disciple you. That's a term which you hear used very often today. We were told how the scripture is inspired of God, and how the man of God who has the word of God is thoroughly equipped unto all good works. And if you have the scripture, that is your sword of the Lord. So once you are born again, once you have the word of God, you are pictured in the word of God as a soldier, Ephesians chapter 6, that is ready to do battle. And I don't mean physical battle, I mean spiritual battle. But here, we are probably around, let's see now, 35, 36, possibly 40 AD. Still very early in the church's history. And I would take a guess and say that around this time, the Epistle of James has been written, possibly Mark's Gospel. I'm not sure any of the Pauline epistles have yet been written. And in fact, I'll say this, that one of my hypotheses that I'm currently exploring is that it dawned on me a few nights ago that perhaps the three epistles of John, 1st John, 2nd John and 3rd John, were written much earlier than we have been led to believe. You see, tradition tells us that John wrote his gospel late, and that's okay with me, I don't need to question that, and that he wrote Revelation late, and I'm happy to accept that, but I'm not sure I completely agree with the hypothesis or the theory based on tradition, quote-unquote, that the three eyes were written late in the first century. And I think the reason why I'm not so sure about that is because John spends a lot of time speaking about the law. And it's fair to say that the gospel of the grace of God hasn't yet been revealed to Saul of Tarsus. In fact, he's not even called Paul the Apostle yet. So I think that would explain why we are still very much dealing with Jewry. And when I say Jewry, I mean Judaism. And let me say this also, that Simon the Tanner was probably an outcast, much like we read about in Luke 19, in reference to Zacchaeus, a tax collector. And that goes back to what I said at the beginning of this broadcast, that the Lord expects us to put ourselves out. He expects us to speak to those individuals that are normally shunned by society. 
and yet organised religion, I think, fails his people on so many levels. Verse 7, please. When the angel which spake unto Cornelius was departed, he called two of his household servants and a devout soldier of them that waited on him continually. And when he had declared all these things unto them, he sent them to Joppa. Cornelius has called for a three-man team that waited on him continually. That goes back to his preeminence. This is a very important man. And he declares all these things unto them. That's a type of witnessing. I asked myself, what would these men have thought when they heard Cornelius speaking about an angel appearing unto him? But on top of that, he sends them to Joppa. Verse 9, On the morrow, as they went on their journey and drew nigh unto the city, Peter went up upon the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. And he became very hungry and would have eaten. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven opened and a certain vessel descending unto him as it had been a great sheet knit at the four corners and let down to the earth, wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth, and wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air. This is going to build on the fact that Peter has been associating with Simon the Tanner, an individual that was selling skins of dead animals, and now he's going to be told through a vision, from this moment on, nothing is to be considered to be unclean. And it says he was praying on the rooftop or the housetop, which is very Jewish. The houses in Israel are very flat, unlike those in the West. And he's praying about the sixth hour, which would be about midday. He's hungry. Ten, he falls into a trance, which goes back to the fact that signs and wonders are still occurring. And that's fair enough because the Jews require a sign. The Jews are entitled to a sign. And how else is the Lord going to reveal himself to people? He's going to do it through visions, trances, and prophets. And he sees heaven opened, in verse 11, and a certain vessel descending unto him. And he got four-footed beasts of the earth, twelve wild beasts, creeping things, and fowls of the air, birds of the air. And sometimes fowls of the air are types of demons, devils. But if you go back to Leviticus and read it very carefully, you find that the Jews were prohibited as to what they could or could not eat. And on top of that, they were prohibited as to what they could wear. So to be fair to Peter... He has been living a certain way for a certain period of time. He's been, he's been separated. He has been sanctified, separated unto God. And yet the time has come for the middle wall of partition to be knocked down. This would be a culture shock to Peter. It's just possible that perhaps he too was of the mindset that the Gentiles were unclean animals. You do find that alluded to when the Lord Jesus Christ came up or came across this South Phoenician woman back in the Gospels and she was begging him to intervene and set her daughter free of an unclean spirit and she continued to ask him she continued to plead with him she begged him to heal her devil-possessed daughter and he wasn't in a rush to do it and he says to her that he's come to the lost children of Israel he's come to the house of Israel He's come for the dispersed Jews. But by her persistence, by her continual pleading with him, which goes back to what I said a few moments ago, pray without ceasing, he allows her request to be granted. And that's a great picture of persevering in prayer, never giving up, because if it's the Lord's will, he will grant you your request. But I will say this, that experience has shown me over the years that our timetable many times clashes with the Lord's timetable. We like to think that if we pray something today, our prayer will be answered straight away, and that's not how it works. 
this man has been praying for a long period of time. And the Lord has said, okay, Cornelius, it's now time for your prayer to be answered. I'm going to send Simon Peter, my top man, if you will, because we saw last time how Saul of Tarsus has had to escape for his life. And Simon Peter is going to come down to you, but he's not quite ready yet, Simon. You see, Simon Peter is slightly, can I say, self-righteous. I don't want to be too hard on him. But the Lord's going to have to mould Simon Peter before he gets down to Cornelius's house. Because, as I say, Simon Peter has been doing religion for many years. And he's a saved man, but what do they say? Old habits die hard. And therefore, he's going to have to break him down a bit more to further explain the need to help this Roman proselyte to Judaism. No doubt despised by certain groups of Jewry. And no doubt despised by certain groups within the church. And that's why you were told in verse 13, And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. A voice to him from the Lord, of course, Peter, kill and eat. Look at verse 14. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. Peter once again is arguing with the Lord. Peter was a hothead, along with James and John, the sons of Zebedee. That's why they are called the sons of thunder. And yet Peter, I think, was also probably immature. Peter needed a bit more tender loving care, as we say. He needed some more time spent with him to build him up. And I think this is interesting because here we find a saved man arguing with the Lord. And the Lord doesn't condemn him. He doesn't just demolish him. In fact, back in the Old Testament, we find Abraham making it very clear that he was just dust and ashes in the presence of the Lord. That is a true picture of humility. And he's pleading with the Lord in reference to Solomon and Gomorrah. He says, if you find 20 righteous, will you spare it? If you find 15 righteous, will you spare it? If you find 10 righteous, will you spare it? And that, in, that uh, interaction goes on for, I would think, several moments. It certainly covers a good two or three verses. And the Lord is so patient with Abraham. And here, the Lord is patient with Simon Peter. And on top of that, he tells you in verse 14, I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. Which goes back to... Some more Catholic propaganda in reference to John chapter 6, in reference to the Lord, making it paramount in context of eating his flesh and drinking his blood, that such language was figurative. He says, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit. The flesh profits nothing, it is the words that are spiritual. In other words, he's saying that what I'm telling you to do is not to be taken literally. So if we were to take John 6 literally, in reference to the wine, becoming the blood of Christ, and the bread becoming the body of Christ, then you'd have Simon Peter eating something unclean. Something which was prohibited back in the Old Testament. In fact, it was prohibited to drink blood before the law, during the law, and after the law. So here, Peter is quite correct. He's never eaten anything common or unclean. He's never drunk blood. He's never touched anything unclean. He was very careful what he would eat and drink. So this verse, as far as I am concerned completely annihilates the false notion of transubstantiation, a dangerous fable and a blasphemous deceit. And I'll end today's broadcast in verse 15, if I may. And the voice spake unto him again the second time, What God hath cleansed, that call not thou common. Romans 14 makes the case very clearly that whatever you want to eat or not eat is up to you. If you wish to be a vegetarian, that's up to you. 
If you wish to be a meat eater, that is up to you. If you wish to worship on the Lord's Day, that is up to you. And if you don't wish to worship on the Lord's Day, that is up to you as well. We have great liberty in the Lord, but what we never want to do is use that liberty as a license to sin. But this is a great turning point in Simon Peter's life. Simon Peter is now being told by the Lord to go from being a good, sanctified, separated Jew, saved, of course, under the Old Testament, going to the New Testament, to now make it very clear to his Gentile audience, Cornelius, and we'll pick it up next time, that he's not unclean. Food is no longer unclean. Associating with unclean people are no longer unclean. Associating with Gentiles is no longer to be looked down upon. And on top of that, to put yourself out to bring people not yet saved to the Lord. So I will say this, that this is a great picture of witnessing. This is a great picture of praying without ceasing. And it's a great picture of repenting of arrogance, indifference and looking down on people from other backgrounds. It's not easy. It takes time to do this. I will grant you that. But if you are standoffish, if you think you are something special, if you think you are cut above the rest, repent. Forsake it, turn from it, fall at the foot of the cross, get saved. And if you are saved and yet still think you are something special, confess it to the Lord. And until you do, he will not use you. But here, Peter, to his credits, has been dispatched. He's gone down. Or he will be going down. We'll pick it up next time to Cornelius to articulate the word of God to him. So we will conclude today's broadcast in Acts chapter 10 verse 16.